morning, Calvary. I am so excited. I am so honored. I am actually overwhelmed being here with you all today. Uh, it's good to actually be in the sanctuary. I was introduced to this church in the gym. I would come by um, on Tuesday evening sometimes and play basketball with who I thought were old men who were better athletes than me. Never judge a book by its cover. Amen. So, so I need to give you all a few rules and, and just kind of help this preaching moment go well for me. I'm, I'm kind of looking at you, trying to figure you out. You looking at me, trying to figure me out. I'm, I'm trying to see if I can get some amens <laughs> in here. And can I get... So, so listen, uh, I, I, there's two things you need to know about a black pastor. Um, first thing, when you say amen, we preach faster. <laughs> so let's just practice. Amen. amen. The second thing I, I want you to know that's, that's, that's very important, uh, that, that black pastors never have clocks in their church because they don't look at them anyway. So... <laughs> You might as well just not look at your watch and just have a good time in the Lord. I am honored to be called a friend of Calvary and a friend of my brother, Eric. We met about a year ago, and it was the George Floyd um, death that brought us together. We both have a sincere heart to bring about uh, reconciliation between people. And we believe, listen to me, you all, we believe you get nothing else from me today. We believe that the church is the resource, the power, and the example that God has ordained to bring about peace here on earth. You didn't get it. No, 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 no. You didn't get it. I got to give it to you again because you didn't get it. Not the black church, not the white church. Not the affluent church, not the poor church, not the suburban church, not the ghetto church, but the church that walks under the umbrella of Jesus Christ who died for our sins so that he could get glory from our lives. And it is that church that God wants to use. Now, I haven't even got to start preaching yet. My time hasn't started. That's just kind of the warm-up. Amen. I just, I just get excited. So, so, and so I have listened to several messages of Pastor Eric. And let me tell you, I will listen to his preaching any day of the week. But what I will not do anymore is sit next to him while he's singing. I'm just telling you. I just, brother, 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 preach all day long. You got it. But when it comes to singing, I'm reminded of a song, Blessed Quietness. Amen. <laughs> and then I always want to give honor to uh, Pastor Dave, who preached last week on first, uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verses uh, 6 and 7. Phenomenal job. Is still, he's still able to just do it like nobody else. Come on, let's give our pastors and our preaching team. <laughs> around uh, Last thing, and then I'll get into the word. Last thing, uh, I, I brought, I brought um, some help with me. I got my ram in the bush. If you all wouldn't give me amens, I brought my amen corner with me. Uh, will you all show some love for the 
the beautiful people of the Second Baptist Church of Santa Ana who are sitting around. Will you all stand? Second Baptist, will you all stand? Will you all stand? Will you all stand? God has given me the pleasure to hang out with some of God's best people. Today, for a few moments, we're meditating on the topic, worth the risk. I want to read to you some words that Timothy received from his mentor, Paul, while Paul was in prison. This wasn't the first time that Paul was in prison but this was the last time that Paul would be in prison. And I want you to get this, because this is, this is pretty, pretty powerful, that while he's in prison, he's lonely. You'll see in, verse, in chapter 4, he talks about his loneliness. He misses his friends, in particular his son in the ministry, Timothy. He has suffered much. He was no stranger of persecution, no stranger of isolation, no stranger of pain. But yet, he was no stranger to the power and the presence of God moving in the most horrific situations. And this letter, in all of his letters, you, you, you have this, these pastoral epistles, that's, that's the two letters to Timothy and, um, and Titus, and then you have the prison epistles and all the other letters in which he has written. But, but one of the things that is so amazing to me in this text, I need you to hear this, is that in spite of his pain, that's a theme, in spite of his suffering, that's a theme, in spite of the isolation and aloneness, he had the ability to tap into a power that was greater than his pain. And from that, he begins to think. He's thinking about the young man who he absolutely loves and has seen him grow up. Someone who he's thinking about, and he begins to speak through this letter. And as Pastor Dave told us last week, he talked about Timothy. God did not give you a spirit of fear but of love and the power and of a sound mind. And then he goes into verse 8, and he says this, Therefore, do not be ashamed. Stop. Therefore, whenever you see a therefore, it refers to what has happened before. Therefore, the therefore is therefore a reason. He says, because of what you all learned last week, I'm going to say this this week. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Verse 10. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death 
and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a teacher. One version says a herald, a teacher, an apostle, and a teacher. For this reason, I also suffer these things. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to protect what I have entrusted to him until that day. Let us pray. God, speak, for your servants are listening. God, move, for we want to be obedient. God, bless, because we stand in the need of a blessing. Now, may the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock, our strength, our redeemer, and our friend. In Jesus' name, we pray. And all God's children say, amen. Paul's in this prison, and most of us may think of a prison like we see now, but this prison was believed to be a pit that was dug into the ground. He was actually in a hole with a cage or gate or some kind of confinement to keep him in this hole. And the guards would literally look down at him to make sure that he was still there and what was going on. He was in a pit. And he writes these words that I think that was most important for Timothy to hear in his final days. He would later be executed, martyred, killed for believing in the testimony of the good news. And he tells Timothy three things, I think, and I'll share those three things and we'll go through them and then we should be out of here by one o'clock. Um, let the church say, no way. <laughs> I see three things that come out of this text. He's telling his son in the ministry, and it's no, um, it's no offense, but the relationship that Paul and Timothy had was that was so unique that it was as a father talking to a son. And he tells his son the most important things. Oh my, he said, I've experienced all this stuff. He said, the most important things that I want you to get in this last day is that you have to be courageous, you have to understand your calling, and you must be committed, committed to this thing. You must be courageous or, or courage. In verse number eight, it simply says this, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. And then he says, join me in these sufferings. Courage means to have grace under pressure. It is the ability to show kindness, to give favor under pressure. It is, it is the ability to understand that you are being attacked from forces because of what you believe, you're going to be attacked. You didn't get it. Because of what you believe, you will be attacked. You didn't get it. If you've never been attacked, then you must concentrate and reevaluate what you believe and what you stand for. That Paul reminds Timothy that in this journey, you can't be timid. You must be bold and courageous because you will suffer and you will be attacked. Are you all with me? Y'all supposed to say amen. 
it's too late. Don't have me ask you again. <laughs> Courage is what we've seen when Moses faced Pharaoh. Courage is what we've seen when David faced Goliath. Courage is what we see when Esther faced her king. Courage is what Daniel was able to do to Nebuchadnezzar and to the lions. Courage is what Joseph had to give grace to his brothers under pressure. Courage, we saw something very rare during the presidential election some years ago. May he rest in peace. But John McCain is one of my favorite heroes of the faith and in politics because under pressure, in the heat of the moment, when all things were at stake, he took a bold and courageous stance to defend his opponent's character when he knew the feedback would be treacherous and swift and painful. The question is, do we have enough courage to stand for what is right, even if it hurts our standing with our friends and our peers? Paul reminds Timothy, when you stand for what's right, those who are closest to you will mock you, scorn you, and even ridicule you. But do what's right anyway. Have courage to give grace to those who need it. I want to give you an example. My son, my wife, and I um, have, I, I, I don't know, someone should have told me about this racket called AAU basketball. It's, it's, it's a racket. Anybody ever get caught in that racket uh, where, you know, it's, it's, 15, it's, it's, it's $15 to get into an event and it's $20 to park and you, and it's just a racket. And, and anyway, I'm, I'm sorry. And, and so we've been following our children. One child was in basketball, one was in swimming and soccer. And then my son, who's the baby, is in basketball and he has a game up in Thousand Oaks today and I'm hoping he's doing well. And, and, I, and I remember um, this one time that my son's team was getting destroyed. I mean, they were down by about 40 points and he's only 14 and, and they didn't do well and these other guys were just, I mean, just run up score. The referees stopped the game and said, hey, you guys are up by 40 points. There's six minutes left in the game. Chill out. But the coach said, no, we're not gonna back. They're pressing these kids, full court press. And they're scoring up. They were intending to get 100 points on these kids, and, and they were embarrassing them. And, and, and the parents were upset, and, and the referees couldn't stop the game. And all of a sudden, the assistant coach of the winning team walks on the court and says, stop. Enough is enough. This is wrong. I saw that coach a few weeks later. And I said, man, thank you. And what made you do that? He says, I could not stand to see someone, even though I was on the other side, to suffer without me saying anything. I said, what happened? I said, um, you know, how did the coach respond? He said, he fired me. He said, but it's okay. I'd rather lose my job than to lose 
my dignity. Courage is the ability to stand for what is right. And Paul told Timothy, even though you're timid, even though you're young, stand for what is right. Secondly, he says you stand because you have a calling. You have a calling. You've been called to a higher purpose. He says, he says, he says in verse number nine, he says this calling, and it's not your calling. The calling is, is akin to, in the Greek and understanding of calling, is to be invited to or to be moved from one location to another location, to be moved from one purpose to another purpose. As Jesus calls his disciples, he called the 12, he called them to move from what they were doing to doing something else. It is a sacrificing of your will and your desire for a greater will and a greater desire. It, uh, uh, Henry Blackaby puts it this way, uh, uh, the role of responding to a calling is to move from your agenda to God's agenda. The greatest challenge in all of Christendom is to move from our agenda to God's agenda, to move from our preferences to God's preferences, to move from what we want to what God wants and desires. Paul put it this way, we wrestle against our own flesh to operate and to move in the spiritual realm. Stop for a moment. How many of y'all can relate to struggling with moving from your will to God's will? Moving from your agenda to God's agenda. How many of y'all have struggled under pressure? Remember the context is under pressure. Why you feel like you're being crucified or you feel like you're being attacked and you say, nevertheless, not my will. Calling is being called to a purpose. How do you, how do you deal with suffering? How do you deal with pain? How do you deal with frustration? How do you deal with the pain of life? Victor Frankl talks about in Auschwitz in the concentration camps, he, he discovered something. He discovered something. That those who saw that there was a purpose behind their suffering, who could never give up hope and knew that there was something beyond the moment. They, they, they had a calling. They understood the why. They survived longer than those who gave up hope. That he discovered that those who died, and there was a group in 19, I believe 1944, a group of those who were in Auschwitz who died right around Christmas time because they were hoping that they'd be freed by Christmas, and they lost sight of purpose, and they lost sight of what could be, and they ended up dying. If we don't recognize that God has called us to suffer, and that there is a reason and a purpose for our suffering that is greater than us, that God will use us in our suffering, then we will die to the suffering. Nietzsche puts it this way. He who has a why to live can bear almost any how. I'll say it again. He who has a why to live can bear almost any how. Paul tells Timothy, 
to be courageous, to never forget the calling that there's a purpose that is greater than you. Let me tell you what our purpose is. One of my friends shared this with me just the other day. I thought it was great. He said, the role of every Christian is to create God-giving, God-breathing relationships to others. To create life-giving, God-giving relationships with others. You didn't get it. It is to create life-giving relationships to others. You still didn't get it. If you'd have got it, you would have said amen. Say amen. That's the second time I've asked for one. The third time, you're out of here. All right. <laughs> Lastly, he reminds him, not only is there a calling for a purpose, not only do you need to be courageous, but the last thing he reminds us in verses 11 and verses 12, that we must be committed in spite of the suffering. That because it gets hard, it doesn't alleviate us of our Christian responsibility. Oh, y'all finally get it. I, I, got, I got six minutes left and y'all gonna you told me that they were smart. No, 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 no. I want you to get this. This is important. Being courageous and understanding the calling, but being committed to the calling when it is tough, when it is hard. When you want to throw in the towel, he says, my sufferings. Listen. In October the 2nd of 2006, there was an Amish community in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania. Do you all remember that date? That was the date where a man who is not connected to that community goes into the local school in this Amish community he binds up 10 young girls, ages 6 to 13. He let the teachers and the boys go. His intent was to rape and to kill these girls because of something that he had experienced. The reporter said that he was angry with God for whatever reason. He shoots all 10 of them. Five die. Five are injured. Then he took his life. A horrible tragedy that rocked this nation. Pouring of love and prayers came from all over the world. They raised over $4.3 million to help that community. And that community took about a million of those dollars and gave it to the family of the man who had shot and killed their young. And the leader of that community, as he's under pressure, he's in front of the mics, there's lights, and they ask him, how could you do this? How could you, after what he did, Bless his family. Give a million dollars to his family, his wife and children. How could you do that? And he responded without a doubt. He says, regardless of how painful it is and how much we hurt and miss our girls,
girls, we're still Christians. And, it, and we still must respond and be committed to what we believe. Hmm. Watch this. It's not over. Ten years later, they did an article looking back in that community. And one of the survivors said the one good thing that came out of that experience, out of that tragedy, was that we were able to walk in forgiveness. The mother of the man who shot and killed those girls still to this day goes to that community and still cares for some of the girls who survived. One girl in particular who was paralyzed from the waist uh, from the neck down. She cares for her. She feeds her. Their act of love to that family got a response of an act of love from another family. People who should be warring against each other because of their commitment to Christ, tragedy brought them together. We can learn something from the Amish community. I'm going to close with this final story. Don't look at the clock. I've had the pleasure of serving in the United States Navy. I was in boot camp in Orlando, Florida. My company was company C-139. We were a Hall of Fame company. Let me tell you what that means. Anybody in, here, in the military, military folks, let me see your hands. Any Navy folks? What about Marines? Any Marines? I'm praying for you all. Thank you. I just want you to know. Man. Amen. And so, 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 so while I served in the Navy uh, and in boot camp, we, we were a Hall of Fame company. And our Hall of Fame company, uh, that means we, we, in every aspect and every phase of our training, we scored at least a certain amount. And when you do that, you become a Hall of Fame company. And we were so proud to be a Hall of Fame company. And so at our graduation, our passing review, they had us line up and, and we, we had three flags that we carried, three flags. We carried three flags as our company. One, one, one flag off to the far right um, was the flag of the Navy. The flag to the far left was our company C-139 with a, with a, with a, with a um, Hall of Fame ribbon on it. But then there was a flag in the middle. The flag in the middle was the flag of the United States of America. It was center, it was larger, and it flew higher than any other flag. We were in the Navy. We were part of Company C-139 Hall of Fame. But we were told that the most important flag that had to fly center was the flag that we were Americans. More than just military folks, more than just a company, we had to hold the flag of America high and out front. I was selected to hold that flag. Blew me away because I was one who was always on the borderline of getting in trouble. As a matter of fact, push-ups is one of the punishments that you would get for doing things wrong, and they would call push-up position pitch position because I did so many push-ups in boot camp. 
I was so, listen, I was so, I had so much um, resistance in me that I could not tell my mom to fly out for my graduation uh, until a week before graduation because they didn't know if I was going to make it because they were constantly threatened to send me back to the beginning of boot camp or kick me out because I just had that much trouble um, um, adhering to the regiments of boot camp. This is an honest and true story. So imagine my surprise when they gave me the honor of holding the center flag. And I asked my company commander, Captain Jess, I said, Captain Jess, why would you choose me? I barely made it here. He says, because you've been through so much. You got a toughness in you. And I know that you would never drop the flag because if that flag is dropped, the entire company would go back to week one and start all over again. And you would be automatically kicked out of the service. He said, if these other flags drop, just those individuals would go back. But you cannot drop the flag of the United States of America. It is the most important flag. Hmm. I discovered later on that there's a flag more important than the United States of America flag. It's the Christian flag. The Christian flag should fly higher, brighter, and larger than any other flag of affiliation in which we have. Paul reminds Timothy that there's a faith in him that came from his mother and grandmother. And that faith must be front and center in the midst of suffering. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, I'll take my seat. Is that some of us have flags in our lives, and I'm not telling you they're wrong flags. Some of us have flags of our education and of our affluence. Some of us have a Republican flag and, and a Democratic flag. Some of us have the progressive flag and, and, a, and a conservative flag. Some of us have various flags that we hold. And none of those flags should ever be center and more prominent and more dominant than the Christian flag. <laughs> Pastor Rob said to me the other day, I was on a call with this racial reconciliation uh, group, and he says, give us, he said, give me a charge for how we can live and what do you want to get from this message? And I'll take my seat. The only thing that I want to say to you all today is that don't be afraid of all the flags that fly in your life. That's fine. Whether you're in a fraternity or whether you're with this group or that group, it doesn't matter. What I want to challenge you all today is to make sure that you never ever, ever confuse what flag should be center in your life. The flag of our Christian values that says love of God, love of self, and love of others is a preeminent flag. And if you want an assignment from me, 
I would challenge you to write down all the things that are important to your life and ask, what has more weight? What flag flies center? What is your true allegiance? And so you may say to me, Pitts, as you've gone two minutes and nine seconds over your time, how can we do that? This is hard, because I feel strongly about what I feel. You don't do it on your own. Verse 12 tells us that we have a power that's with us, a power that is greater than us. Greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. You're not alone. The power of God moves on the inside. Okay, I'm closing with this. I'm done. I'm, 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 I'm walking off the stage. I said, see, never going to have a black Baptist preacher come here ever again. I know. This one is good. So as a little boy, I'm, I'm going to tell this story, I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to leave the stage. All right, tell the story, leave the stage. Uh, how many of y'all say, yeah, right, whatever. So, so, so this is for the kids. This is not for the, for the kids. So, so there was a little kid who had been mischievous, and, um, um, and, and his birthday was coming up, and he wanted to go to Toys R Us. And his father told him, well, I'll take you to Toys R Us. He said, I'll get you, you know, I'll get you something. You've been a little bit mischievous, but, you know, it's your birthday, and I'm, I'm going to take you to Toys R Us. He goes to Toys R Us. Matter of fact, they go to the Toys R Us in Manhattan. If you've never been to Toys R Us in Manhattan, I'm not sure it's still there, but it's amazing. It's like Disneyland in Manhattan. It's everything. And, then, and, he, and, and, and the father says to him, son, I'll give you anything you want if you can knock this doll down. There was this, there was this doll there, and he's... He said, the little boy says, yeah, I can, I can knock it out, Dad. And he goes over and he punches it, boom. And it falls down and it comes back up. Little boy is perplexed. And so he says, okay. He, this time he hits a little harder. He goes, pow, it falls down. And it comes back up. Now he's embarrassed because the crowd is around him and they're kind of giggling and smiling. This little boy is angry. So he takes a couple steps back. He runs, he kicks it. It hits the aisle, it spins around. And it comes back up. Father's laughing. And he says, son, have you figured out why you can't keep it down? He says, dad, I looked on the top and I looked under the bottom and I'm looking all around the side. He says, I can't see anything that would allow it from the outside for it to keep coming back up. He said, dad, it must be something on the inside that when I hit it, it gets back up. When I kick it, it gets back up. And God says you can carry the right flag in spite of persecution because there's something on the inside that allows you to get up when you get hit with sickness or hit with depression or hit with racism or hit with attacks from the left or attacks from the right. They won't keep us down because God has promised us that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. You can handle it because there's something what on the... Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day and we pray that we can take heed to the challenges that Paul sends to his dear son, Timothy, to be courageous, to understand there's a calling, we have a purpose, 
and to be committed in spite of the persecution. Thank you, O God, for giving us something on the inside that gives us the ability to stand up when we've been kicked by life, stand up when we've been punched in the mouth, stand up when we have been disappointed and broken. Thank you, O God. Now, God, I pray that someone will have received this message and the gift that comes from knowing Jesus Christ as a personal Lord and Savior. God, I finally ask that you allow us to always have our priorities right, to fly the flag of love, of grace, and of courage so that we can give you glory. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen.